Good morning. morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. I had a lock-in on Friday night, so it feels like it's been about three years this weekend. So we'll see how this goes. If I just kind of stand here and stop talking for a while, uh, it probably means that I fell asleep, but we'll see. You guys are free to leave at that point. Um, So the other day I was driving with Beatrice, who is my niece, who I may have mentioned once or twice. Uh, And I actually have a car seat in my car. And I don't have any kids, but it's just for when I go see her. But uh, we were driving, and and we were leaving the park, and I saw, like, this guy on a unicycle driving down the highway. Like, not in a bike lane or anything, driving down the highway. And he had on, like, uh, this, this, I don't want to say tuxedo, but, like, this super nice suit. And so it's something that really stands out. And then, you know, a little later, we're driving, and we see somebody on a bicycle, and they're in, like, ratty gym shorts and, like, an old tank top and all this stuff. And so I was thinking, what's the difference between a well-dressed person on a unicycle and, you know, a poorly dressed person on a bicycle? Just a tire. Okay. So. Oh, I love the slow ones. Yeah. Oh, no, no, don't clap on that. That makes (laughs) Okay. Maybe I should just end it there and go out on a high note. So we are continuing the Home Run Life series. And in this series, we are talking about uh, just what it means to live that life. And in the video, it talks about we go up to bat and we want to hit a home run. And, and so we're talking about people from the Bible who have done that or who, who we've seen things from their lives that, that make such a huge difference. People that we talk about. And as I've said in this series, I want to talk about people who we don't talk about very much. And I've talked about Aaron and I've talked about uh, whoever I talked about last week, but it's been so long to lock in, guys. But it's, it's such, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan is who it was. And so it's such uh, a, a cool series because it's important to look at those lives and to recognize, wow, they have flaws or, or they're not perfect or man, they had some, some big problems and so do I. And so I can live according to Jesus and I can see examples and I can do all of that. And so this week I, I was all set to talk about Mordecai from the Esther story. And as I read through the story and I studied the commentaries and I prayed, I'm like, I want to talk about both of them, about Esther and Mordecai. So I'm cheating in a little bit, but it's because their lives were so amazing. And I encourage you to to read Esther this week. And I know that it gets talked about sometimes and she gets talked about sometimes, but but their story and what they went through and some of the things even about the book itself are, are so cool. And so I want to read through this. And this is Esther chapter two, verses 16 through 23. Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for uh, for all the nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. Even after all the young women had even after all the young women had been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai had become a palace official, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. Uh, she was still following Mordecai's directions, just as she did when she lived in his home. One day, as Mordecai was on duty uh, at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthana and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. 
This was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. So if I just read that and then kept talking about who Esther is and Mordecai is, uh, you would be like, well, that's an interesting life. And King Xerxes, like I'm sure he wasn't great, but, but you know, she's there and she's the queen and, and Mordecai is doing things. But I want to give a little background first. And so King Xerxes ruled over the Persian Empire when it was at its largest. And in fact, throughout this entire book, uh, historically, he's looking to attack Athens when it is also a very large empire. And that didn't work out. But he was not a good person. And I don't say that lightly. He did a lot of bad things. And in this book, if you just know from Esther, you're going to see some anger and you're going to see some troubling things but you don't truly get a grasp of who he was before that or who he was at his heart. And so just a couple things. Uh, not long before this, he, wanted, he had a bridge built and it got torn down by an ocean storm. And so rationally, very rationally, as we'd all do, he executed the bridge builders because they didn't make it stormproof. And then, and this is an interesting part, a cool part, uh, then he commanded his soldiers and everyone else to take whips and all and chains and just everything and beat the waves. I mean, you think about that for a second. Like literally he commanded them to attack the ocean for knocking down the bridge. That tells you who we're dealing with here. And so this is where Esther is. And so she's in this situation because uh, the queen Vashti, uh, uh, Xerxes and, and the nobles that it mentions, uh, they'd all gotten drunk one night and they'd all gotten really braggy and, you know, hey, my wife, this wife, like this kingdom, like what we want to do. And so he called for Vashti to come in and she said no. And that's a big deal, especially then. And so, you know, it didn't go well for her. She gets banished. And so he has this contest and Esther gets involved in it. Uh, her and Mordecai are in exile from, from Israel, they're Jewish, and they have to hide that because Persia's not a fan of that. And so all of this is going on, and we see Esther in this situation, a child of Jewish ex exiles, and, and Mordecai, who has exiled himself, and, and he's her cousin, but he raised her because her parents had been killed, and, and so she's basically like a daughter to him, and all of this is happening. And they're in this situation, and it is so crazy, and Esther had really no choice and it's a hostile land, and she knows all the king's stories. She knows who he is. She's seen who he is, I'm sure. And Mordecai knows that. He's worried about his cousin, his daughter, however you want to look at it. And he's, he knows, he's like, man, he could lose his temper at any time. And yet, and yet, when he hears about something, people planning to attack him, planning to kill him, he just does the right thing. It doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter what Mordecai wants his life to be. He just acts because that's who he is, because he has integrity, because he does the right thing. And so even though both of them are stuck in this horrible situation, this disappointing situation, this discouraging situation, they keep living and they keep doing their best. Uh, I have a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. And this is, we must accept finite disappointment. But we must never lose infinite hope. And as you know, he lived at a time he was not perfect. He lived at a time when the world was very disappointing. And we look around today and we see that the same world is still very disappointing. And so it must be really easy. I know that it's really easy to, lose, to start to lose hope. To be disappointed. To be discouraged. And we can imagine Esther and, and, and Mordecai in this situation just, just 
knowing who Xerxes is and knowing the kingdom and knowing that they're not home and wondering if they're ever going to see Israel again, wondering if they're ever going to, to see other family, wondering if they're ever going to be safe. Esther, wondering every day, is this going to be the day that I get in trouble, uh, that I'm going to be killed, that, I'm going to be, that there's going to be a new queen? Uh, Mordecai, waking up every day and just like, are they going to find out what I believe? Are they going to come after me? Are they going to come after Esther? Uh, and just feeling that every day, that disappointment, that discouragement, that fear. And so circumstances weren't good at all, but they kept going. Neither of them were perfect. The situation absolutely wasn't perfect, but they kept going because they had to. And so they woke up every day and they did their best. They held on to that hope. They had to because that was all they had. They felt it. They knew it. They knew God was there, even though they may not see him all the time. And so they kept going and they kept going. Sometimes in our lives, we feel stuck. Sometimes it's like, man, every day is the same, or, or I just feel so awful about things. Everything around me is falling apart. My life is falling apart. Everything is so hard. And we get discouraged. We get disappointed. And yet, even though we may lose a lot, even though we can lose a lot, it is so important to remember to have hope in God because He will never leave us. And we won't lose him. Nothing can separate us from his love. And so we hold on to that hope, even if that's the only thing we can see, even if that's the only thing we can hold on to. Even if everything around us is disappointing, everything around us is a struggle, we have to hold that hope. And that's what this story is so powerful. And that's one of the things that kind of goes along with all of the home run heroes in the Bible. Uh, they, 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 as I said, weren't perfect. They had flaws. They messed up sometimes. They made bad decisions sometimes. And sometimes they, were, they felt a lack of hope. They felt discouragement, but they kept going. They kept looking for God. They kept doing their best. Uh, going to Esther, chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. So in the month of April, during the 12th year of King Xerxes' reign, lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim to determine the best day and month to take action. And the day selected was March 7th, nearly a year later. So Haman, I'm going to talk about him for a second. Uh, he had gotten promotions. He was the type who would step on people to get up and lie and cheat and steal and, and manipulate and, and, you know, nothing like any politicians today. And so it was just this crazy, ooh, nothing, okay. We must have a big, like a lot of politicians in attendance. That's okay. It's okay. We're all people. Uh, and so Haman was a descendant of Agog who was an, a Malekalite king. And you may be like, I have no idea what that means. That's okay. But they had made Israel their sworn enemy. So he's not just walking around doing what he can and saying like, hey, there's Mordecai. He's looking for ways to attack the Jewish people. He's looking for ways to take down Mordecai. He'd found out about him and Esther and he wanted them gone. And so as according to his new position, he was not owed bowing. Like the king would not have cared if nobody bowed to him. But he wanted it because that's why he was there to get that. That, that feeling of, hey, people like me, people care. And, and, you know, maybe his friends are like, yeah, nobody actually likes you. But he's like, yeah, but they bowed. And so that's important. Mordecai, on the other hand, 
There was no law or, or even biblical thing against him, you know, doing a, a courtesy bow. This wasn't worship. This wasn't anything like that. But he knew who Haman was. And he knew who he was serving. And he had the integrity to not bow down because he's like, I am not doing that. I don't care what happens to me. I don't care what, what, what goes on because I have to be who I am. I have to, to show who God is. I have to be the best that I can be no matter what. And so he didn't bow. And so... Uh, Haman had been looking for this reason. He didn't care about anything else, but he found it. And so he lies and he manipulates and he tricks the king, kind of, into setting up this decree where a year later, they're going to kill all of the Jewish people in the kingdom. Just because Mordecai wouldn't bow down. Just because Haman's ego was hurt. And so now, Esther and Mordecai, whose lives were already kind of crazy and already kind of hurt and already kind of disappointing, had this countdown clock where they're like, in a year, on this date, March 7th, like, we're all going to die. What are we going to do? How can we, we, we stop this? How can, how can we help? What can we do? And so there's so much danger. And it has gotten so much more discouraging. And I want to go to the next part. And this is the part, if you know anything from Esther, you probably know this. Uh, Esther chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. He and her continued to, to write letters back and forth. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of, of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go to see the king. Uh, if I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything that Esther had ordered him. So Mordecai sees what's coming. And I'm sure he feels some kind of guilt, even though he knows he did the right thing. And he knows where Esther is. And it says, even though it's illegal, I'm going to go see the king. It was like legit illegal. This wasn't just like she's going to get slapped on the hand. I told you about Vashti. But if you went to the king without him calling for you, if you talked without being told to talk, then you're dead, essentially. And so she knows this. And so it's not that she's heartless. And it's not that she doesn't care about everybody else. But it's that she just doesn't know what to do. She doesn't see a path forward. She doesn't know how to change things. She's scared. And Mordecai says such powerful things. And he's also scared because he loves her. He's raised her. And he says, listen, God's going to work no matter what you do. And that's such an important thing for us to know. We look around at the world. We look around at our lives. We look around at everything going on. And it's like, man, what can I do? God is there. And so Mordecai says, God will work. God will act. God will protect his people no matter what. But you may die. Your family may die. So maybe this is the time for you to act. Maybe this is the time for you to stand up. Maybe this is the time for you to do something. And again, this is not something he said lightly because he knew what could happen. And then so she goes back to him and she's like, okay, I want you to do this. I want you to stand up. I want you to stand out. I want you to pray. I want you to fast. And that is putting himself on the line because if anybody sees that in the midst of this countdown clock, he's going to die early. And so both of them are in these horrible positions, but both of them continue to trust God. And both of them know this is all we have is, is who we are, what we can do. And so we stand up every day. 
And so both of them are living their faith. Both of them are trying. They're looking for this moment. And so often in our lives, we're looking for that moment. We're looking for that moment where it's like, this is the time I was here for. This is the moment. This is the person. This is the life. This is the message. This is the service. This is the day. And so we say, I'm going to do it on that day. I'm going to live it out on that day. I'm going to be an example on that day. I'll move on that day. I have such big plans, big dreams. I've got a quote from Mr. Rogers that I hope I can read from here. Uh, Imagining something may be the first step in making it happen, but it takes the real time and real efforts of real people to learn things, to make things, to turn thoughts into deeds or visions into inventions. Some of us, all of us, spend a lot of time thinking about that moment. And maybe we've read Esther and we're like, it's just such a time as this. So God, where is my moment? Where is, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? What is the big thing? What is the dream? How can I fit? And you can spend your entire life looking for that moment. You can spend your entire life waiting for the perfect opportunity, waiting for the perfect chance, waiting for this one thing, hoping, daydreaming, doing whatever we can. And it's so hard to know when to act. So we have to act every day. You see, every day can be the moment. And maybe there is a big moment. Maybe there's this huge thing, like what's going on with Mordecai and Esther. But that doesn't mean that we just wait for that. We keep going in the meantime. And that's what the Mr. Rogers quote quote means. It's like, hey, thoughts are amazing and daydreams are amazing and plans are awesome, but you have to act. And that's why Mordecai and Esther each called each other out and they're like, hey, we can't just talk about this. Go act, go talk. And Mordecai, go pray, go fast, gather people. Because they had to go. There has to be this moment. I know that for a lot of people, we say, you know what? I am really going to get in shape. This is me. Really going to get in shape. I just have to wait until after. Man, I got so many meal plans this week. Like, I really want to get some wings. And so after that, wings are good. Or maybe it's, you know what? I I really want to go back to school, or I really want to talk to that person, or I really want to try for this job, or I really want to do this. And, and, and it's, we hold on to that. And we keep holding on to that. We can spend our entire lives saying, I am going to. I am going to be a better person. I am going to do better. I am going to, to pray more. I am going to read the Bible more. I am going to help more people. And we keep saying it and keep saying it and keep saying it. But it's about taking action and trying and doing things. And we're going to mess up We're going to. And I point this out a lot, but it's true. Jesus, perfect. Absolutely perfect. Only loved. Only did good. Everything he did meant something. Everything he did was for a purpose. And he helped every single person. And yet not even all of the disciples listened to him. So we're not going to have a 100% success rate. We're not. But we keep trying. We keep going. I have a picture. Not a quote, but a picture. These are my great-grandparents, who I've talked about before. And there's a little weird child in the bottom corner uh, with curly hair and a really weird smile. That's me, in case you were thinking I was just making fun of a random kid. Uh, So I've told some of my story. I may have told it all. I'm very open. A long time ago, a long time ago, in a place far, far away, known as Indiana, Uh, 
a young woman, a young girl, was stuck. She had made a bad decision, gotten involved with a not great person, and she was pregnant, and she was young, and she was just finishing high school, and she had no idea where to go. Her parents cut her off. And so she goes to those, okay, she goes to those people. One side made me cry, this one's okay. She goes to, to Ray and Martha Murphy, who had been a big part of her life all along and helped raise her. And she says, I don't know what to do. And a lot of this I put together afterwards and, and, and I learned over time. And she went to them. And they were retirement age. They had lived an entire life of starting churches and teaching Sunday school and doing these amazing things for Christ and doing their best and raising kids and raising people in the family and helping. And they were at retirement age and they were talking about moving to Florida because that's what people do when they retire. And so they easily, easily could have said, we love you so much and you can stay here, but we got to go. We can't do more than, than we'll give you some money, we'll give you a place to stay for a while, and we'll get you started, but, but we got to go. Because we've lived our lives. We've done our best. We've given. We've had such a time as this. And I don't know the discussions that happened. I don't know the prayer that happened. But I know that they looked at her and said, okay, stay here. And then as she stayed there after 13 months, they said, you know what? You're young. And you can get your life together. You can start. We will take care of this boy. Instead of going to Florida, instead of retiring, instead of doing what older people do, they take a 13-month-old boy to raise. And again, they could have said, you know, you can stay here a while. You can take care of him and, and we'll help you. We'll always send you money. We'll always help you. Instead of saying... We've already done it. We've already raised two daughters. We've already raised so many people. We've already raised you. We just can't do it. 13 months old. They said, this is a time for us. This is what's right. We're going to do it. And so they started raising a 13-month-old 13 13 boy. And they made sure that I was in church every single time the church doors were open. And they were not perfect because they were born in 1918. That's not to say anyone born in 1918 was not perfect, although none of us are perfect. But they had different ideas of discipline and different ideas of all of these. Uh, I was required to get A's, which I did. And that kind of leads to my competitiveness and all of these things where I have to hold myself to a perfect standard. But they loved me. And they gave everything they had for me, to help me, to raise me. And over the years as I was growing up, occasionally there would be other people from the family who would come and stay for a weekend or a week or a month. And it was so annoying. Because I was a teenager and I knew everything. And it was so annoying. Some of you parents are like, yeah. I was, it was so annoying. And they would stay and then they would go. And I'd wonder why. And it never dawned on me until later, like, oh wait, I technically don't belong here either. And as I grew up, I was like, oh, they just kept giving. They didn't stop and say, this was my time, this was my moment, this was the thing I had to do. They kept giving, kept 
going, kept trying. And they were by no means perfect, but they did their best over and over and over again at a time when they wouldn't have had to. My great-grandfather died after my freshman year in college. And so I, stayed, I continued to stay with my great-grandma, and she still took care of people. And then her Alzheimer's got worse. And I came home from college and I stayed with her to take care of her. Because of what they poured into me. She lived to 93. And in those 93 years, she touched so many lives that she probably didn't even realize she touched. Because she is one of the reasons I'm standing here. Because she and my great-grandfather did not say... Somebody else will help them. They did not say it's not our time. They did not say we can't do this. They said, we're going to serve God. And so they did it and they served. And going back to the story of, Easter, of Esther and Haman before I start crying, Esther and Mordecai, uh, a year is passing, time is passing, things are going on, and nothing's happening. They're still scared, they're still going to die, things are still crazy. And it seems like time is running out. And it, I'm sure that there were doubts and fears. There's an amazing thing about the book of Esther. Amazing thing. And it's an, in its original translations, there is no direct mention of God. And so a lot of people are like, well, I don't know about this. Like, God's not mentioned. How can this be? And it's obvious, you know, if you read it, like, such a time as this and all these things. But something really cool. You see, the book of Esther was passed around Persia to the other Jews in exile and other people a long time who, who needed to see it. And so they had to be very careful. But in acrostics, in that original language, over and over again, Y-H, sorry, let me get this right. Over and over again, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. Over and over again. And so even though it wasn't a direct mention, God was there. Even though we may not see him, God is there. Even though we may not know it, God is there. Always, no matter what. And so he was there with Esther and he was there with Haman and he had a plan. He's always with us. He's always helping. He's always working. All we have to do is keep working ourselves. Try. Take those moments and show who he is. Show what our lives are like. And so the king finds out that Mordecai had saved his life. And so I want to read this last passage. Uh, this is Esther 7, 9 through 8, 2. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands evenly, or 75 feet uh, tall in his own courtyard. He intends to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's ang anger subsided. On that same day, King Xerxes gave the property of Haman, the, king, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther. Then Mordecai was brought before the king, for Esther had told the king how they were related. The king took off his signet ring, which he had take, taken back from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai to be in charge of Haman's property. So Haman quite literally was hoisted by his own petard. It's an old saying. I was raised by old people, as I said. And so he had these dark plans. And he got so egotistical and so full of himself. And the truth came out and everything came out. And he got, 
He suffered the same fate he had planned for his enemies. And Mordecai and Esther, who valiantly tried and put their lives on the line for the Jewish people, for God, they were rewarded, and everything is awesome. And so the king, as you go on, makes another decree to save the Jewish people and to make sure nothing bad happens. And sometimes this happens. Sometimes this is what we see. Sometimes this is our lives. Sometimes the bad guys lose and the good guys win and everybody that that does the right thing is rewarded. And it's so awesome. And if every time we're like that, it'd be pretty easy. But here's the thing. Even if this situation had gone differently, Even if Esther and Mordecai had both been killed. Even if Haman had continued to be promoted. Even if the king did this. It does not mean God was not there. And it does not mean that God doesn't care. It just means that that's what happened and he was working in a different way. I have one more quote. People of character do the right thing even if no one else does. Not because they think it will change the world, but because they refuse to be changed by the world. I love that quote. Sometimes, sometimes we see the fruits of our labors. Sometimes we do the right thing and we see lives change and we see the situation change and we see our world change. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we get hurt. Sometimes we lose people. Sometimes we lose jobs. Sometimes we we, we just are hurt. Disappointed, discouraged, and yet we still stood up. Sometimes people see what we've done and they come to church and they tell us what we've done. And it's like, this is so awesome. I saw you take action. I I, I saw you do the right thing. Sometimes they don't. And yet it doesn't make the right thing any less right because it's not about that. It's about who we are. It's about who we are all of the time. It's about who we are in the shadows. It's about who we are at home, who we are at work, who we are in our hearts. It's about who we are. Who we are when there's no chance of reward, when there's not much time left, when there's a countdown clock on something. Who we are when it's, it only benefits other people. If we stand up, we do the right thing, we don't gain, but someone else does. It's who we are in those moments. Because God is in it. He's with us. Guiding, helping, loving. And let me say this. Having character, doing the right thing, standing up for Him. Living like Jesus. Loving God. Loving others. It is never futile. Never once. Even if no one comes to you and says, you've changed my life. Even if the rest of the world still looks horrible. It is never futile. To do good. To be like Jesus. Wherever we are, wherever we are, whatever the moment, we are able to do good. We are able to help. We are able to love. I love superheroes and heroic stories and and, and things like that. And I love watching just people stand up and do the right thing in, in those types of stories. In any time, but in those types of stories. And as I said, it's so easy to look for those big moments. To want to be that superhero, to want to be that hero, to want to be that huge force. But the true heroics, the true heroes, are those who act every day to do the right thing, to show an example of Jesus, to show who they are, to live that out. And 
those moments add up. Those days add up. It's the people who raise a 13-month-year-old boy when they're already old. It's the people who love others even when nobody smiles back at them. It is the people who serve and show Jesus and stand up even if their lives aren't what they expected. For such a time as this, our time is always. Always. And God is with us. We are never alone. Never alone. And so even though we may not see it, may not know it, may not realize it, He is there. Maybe in the acrostics, maybe in the actions, maybe in something else, but He is there. And we can show that to everyone we meet all of the time. That's all I got.